Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. Last week, we looked at Matthew chapter 22, and it talks about the rejection that Jesus would receive. So we mainly focused on uh, the parable at the beginning of the chapter. It talks about um, this wedding uh, parable and and different people rejecting uh, the invitation from the king. So some uh, reject him out of indifference. Some reject Jesus out of hostility. And we see that others reject Jesus because they are unwilling to conform. So they're unwilling to change. And so they do not enter into God's kingdom. What we didn't talk about was what comes after this parable uh, in the chapter. So the rest of, of chapter 22, immediately following the parable of the guests who reject the king, we see many people at the Passover festival reject Jesus. We're told of the Pharisees, we're told of the Herodians, we're told of the Sadducees as they come together to try to trap Jesus. These are people who would have nothing in common um, and and they decide that they're going to come together and all they want to do is to trip up Jesus in order to make him foolish or to have him commit treason and so that they can arrest him and and we see that ultimately they they want that to lead to the death of Jesus. We see, though, that Jesus does not buy into this trap, and he confronts the religious leaders for not knowing who the Christ is. We're not going to get too much into the rest of that chapter, but I think it is important for us to see because it it sets up a lot of the context for what we're talking about today. So throughout the the life of Jesus uh, and the ministry of his, the, the Pharisees have continuously rejected Jesus. They've tried to test him. They've tried to trap him because the message of Jesus that he came to usher in the kingdom of God was offensive to them. And so now, as Stephen read for us today, Jesus is publicly addressing the crowds and his disciples about them. So let's get into uh, our text for today, as, again, as Stephen just read, our passage today is about Jesus pronouncing these seven woes on the Pharisees. In essence, it is Jesus pronouncing judgment on them for their actions. A couple things to, to note to begin. First, I want us to see the audience to which Jesus is talking to. In verse 23, it says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, So note that Jesus isn't just out here calling the Pharisees names in order to get them riled up. That's not what we're seeing here. Jesus is speaking to his followers about concerns that he has with the Pharisees. The Pharisees who many in that day would have respected. And so this is a warning to those listening to to be mindful about who you follow. Likewise, for us, it is important to be mindful about who we follow. Not everyone that claims that their message is from God is wise to follow. Not even everyone who claims that they are sharing a Christian message is beneficial to follow. We must be wise in the teachings we choose to follow and who we give our attention to. Again, what we see here is that the the Pharisees, they were a very well-respected sect of Judaism in that day. 
Many people would have looked up to them as wise and moral leaders of their day, and yet Jesus has very strong words for them. And he teaches his followers to be wary of them. So for us as well, we need to be careful of who we're listening to and what teachings that we choose to follow, even if it perhaps is under the name of Christianity. Second thing we need to note here is Jesus' heart. We need to see the, the tone in which he says this. So um, again, our, the text for, uh, that we're reading today contains very strong words from Jesus, yes, but it is not out of delight that Jesus pronounces these woes. I want us to look at the end of the chapter. This is what Jesus says in verse 37. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. He says, How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. He says, If they were willing, if they would have repented, if they would have listened to the words of God, then Jesus would have had compassion on them. It is not out of delight that Jesus judges them, but out of necessity for their own ignorance towards Jesus. Time after time, we see that the Pharisees continued to harden their heart towards Jesus. We see that they continued to act in ignorance towards God's law. And we spoke about how Jesus, despite this, he enters Jerusalem peacefully. Right, if we remember him entering Jerusalem, he, he comes on a donkey, a symbol of peace. He shows them that he's not there to destroy them, but they continue over and over to reject him. And as we talked about last week, for those who continue to reject Jesus over and over, God's patience will wear out. If you refuse to accept his grace, God will eventually judge those who reject him. But it is not out of delight it is with mourning that Jesus decries the Pharisees here. But it is also out of God's right justice. And so we need to see that Jesus longs for repentance. He patiently waits for us to accept his grace, but he will judge those who reject him. If we look back at our text here, we see Jesus' warning to the crowds. So as the crowds, they come uh, to, to hear Jesus in the temple, he begins by saying this. He says, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you. Or pause right there for a minute. First, Jesus says the, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. What does that mean? All of this means, basically, is that, like Moses, the Pharisees were in a position to give the people of God God's law and to enforce that law. That's what Moses did, right? He gave the Israelites God's law. And so similarly, that's the position that the Pharisees had in that day. They were the experts of the law. So their role was to interpret God's law for the people and to enforce it. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's what it means for them to sit on Moses' seat. Second, the crowds that Jesus is talking to are told to observe what the Pharisees tell them. They're told to do as the Pharisees say. That might seem a little bit unusual, right? We, are, we have hindsight into the events that transpired in Jesus' life. And so almost all that we know about 
Pharisees is that they are constantly clashing with Jesus, right? We don't have a very positive outlook on the Pharisees. If you were to be called a Pharisee, it would not be a very good thing. It would be, mean that you're very hypocritical or you are maybe a backstabber or something like that. And so they have a very bad reputation because we have hindsight into that. And so then why would Jesus tell the people to observe what they say? Again, the Pharisees and scribes were the ones who knew God's law. They, they knew it better than anyone else. The problem was that they weren't living out God's law. Okay? That's the major criticism here. And so Jesus' criticism here is largely not against their teaching of the law, but their practice of the law. Jesus says, observe what they say, but do not do what they do. He says they preach and do not practice. They do not do what they tell others to do. They, they give great instruction and they do nothing about what they tell others to do. Right? We get an important warning here that we must practice what we preach. We ought to have integrity to live out what we claim to believe. If not, we're no better than the Pharisees here. Christianity isn't just mere assent to words that we agree with. It's easy to agree with the Bible or a message that we hear preached. But the true sign of a follower of Christ is someone that lives out the word of God. So we must practice what we preach. That's something that the Pharisees were not doing here. And so Jesus confronts them on that. One of the, the criticisms by Jesus here is that they were seeking to be seen by others. Right? So they wanted to, to be seen uh, they, they wanted everyone around them to, to see how righteous they were. It says that they make their phylacteries broad. It's a, probably a new word for us, right, Stephen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if you're not familiar uh, with, with what phylacteries are, they're these leather boxes that certain Orthodox Jews, they wear during prayer. So what, what uh, they would do is that they would take these boxes, and during prayer, they bind them to their arms and their foreheads. And inside them, they contain passages of scripture. And what they're meant to do is to be a reminder to, to keep God's law on your mind. And I think we've got a picture of what this would look like. We've got a picture there. So like, yeah. So right on, the, on that man's forehead is, is what is, uh, that's a phylactery. Um, it's a funny uh, kind of story about how the, the, they came to do that it comes from like a, a verse in uh, I believe Deuteronomy it talks about binding uh, God's word to to your foreheads and, and or between your uh, eyes and and on uh, your sleeves I think something like that and um, so they take that literally and we take that <laughs> figuratively and say like yes we need to be meditating on scripture and they say we need to put that on our actual foreheads <laughs> Kind of funny way uh, that that came like that. Um, but anyway, so this is what a phylactery is, right? What are you doing if you are making your phylacteries broad? Right? You're making them bigger. Why would you do that? You would do that in order to be seen. Right? You would do that so that people would notice your holiness, that you're a religious person, that you observe God's laws. The same thing goes with the, the long fringes. That's what Jesus says. He says they make their, their fringes long. And so they're doing this in order to be noticed so that others would see how spiritual that they are. It says they love the places 
of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. All of this is pointing to, to the same thing. Rather than having a heart for the things that God loves, they want to be seen by others as religious, pious, spiritual people. So Jesus gives instruction to the people. He says, don't be like the Pharisees. He says, don't call yourselves teacher. Don't call anyone your father. And he says, don't call yourselves instructors. That probably seems a little bit extreme, right? We, we have those terms in, in our common vocabulary, right? Here's what I want us to see in that. The idea here is not that we wouldn't call anyone by these titles or that these specific titles wouldn't be used. That's not what, we're, what, what Jesus is saying here, right? I have a dad. I call him dad. You may have a father as well who you call dad or father. And that's not the, the, the important point here. Jesus isn't saying never use these titles. This is what he's saying. Don't find your worth in these titles. Right? Don't let this be your identity. Don't, don't let this be the most important thing to you. What is he doing here? He's tearing down the identity of the religious. Their identity shouldn't be found in being a teacher or a father or an instructor. They were looking for respect for, uh, for, for being these things. They wanted to be seen as important by others for what they've done. And instead, Jesus says this. He says, greatness isn't found in your title or what others think about you. It is found in being a servant of Jesus. He says, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Let me ask us here today, what do we seek to be known for? How, do, how, how many of us would rather be known for our PhD or our master's than known for being a servant? What about our career? Who here would rather be known for our accomplishments, the things that we've worked really hard for? Or would we be known for being servants of Jesus? How about not being known for what we do, but what Jesus has done for us? What would that look like for you here today? Okay, so the warning to the crowds is not to seek the praise of man, but to seek to be servants of Jesus. Your righteousness is not found in what others think of you, but, but in Jesus. And so we serve Jesus. We're going to get into the, the, the woes here. Again, we have seven woes that Jesus pronounces against the Pharisees. I'm going to explain a little bit something before we dive in here. Uh, what we see is that the first six woes, they can be read in pairs. We kind of put them, them together two by two here. Uh, so woes one and two, they have a similar meaning. Woes three and four have another similar meaning. And then uh, five and six uh, they likewise have another similar meaning. So, and then the, the seventh woe stands alone. So we're going to kind of tackle them as pairs. Um, let's start with woes one and two. Okay, what, are, what are they about? Woes one and two have to do with having integrity in our relationship with others. Having integrity in your relationship with others. Let's see what it says. Jesus says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. So Jesus, he condemns the Pharisees for being hypocrites. We've already seen a little bit about what they were doing, right? They were seeking the praise of people rather than God. They weren't willing to lift a finger, but were putting heavy burdens on the people. And they wanted to be known by their titles so that they would be seen as important. And what we see here is that Jesus is saying that by their words and their actions, they are misleading people. In fact, they're not guiding people towards the one true God of the Bible. They are leading them straight to hell. They travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. That seems like an incredibly notable thing to do. How, how devoted you have to be to travel uh, uh, to another country across the world in order to, to save even just one person. To give your life to, to that is a cause that is worthwhile. We, we ought to seek to raise uh, one another up, to, to teach one another, to live out uh, our faith with one another. We should be missional-minded like the Pharisees here. We should all go out and make disciples of all nations. The Bible is very clear about that. But the message from Jesus is here is that how we live out our faith with others matters. How we do discipleship together matters. What we teach other, each other and our actions towards one another matters. The Pharisees weren't, they weren't called hypocritical because they, they uh, oh, sorry, they, they were called hypocritical because they didn't live out what they were taught. If we teach all the right things and yet people see from our lives that it doesn't matter how we live, then what we do is we're shutting the doors of heaven on them and ourselves. In Romans 6, Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? How we live matters not just for our own sake, but for the sake of others around us. If we live unrepentant lives, and what we say to others is, this is okay to God. Right? God is okay with, with me living in my sin. This is what it's like to, to follow Jesus. If there's no repentance in our lives, then we disciple others to not repent either. And Jesus says that is the road to hell for both of us. So what are we discipling others in by how we live? Let us have integrity in our relationship with one another. Woes 3 and 4, they discuss the, the Pharisees' relationship with God's law. What we need to see is that we ought to have integrity towards God's law. The third woe, the, the third woe if we look at it, Jesus talks about oaths. And you may recall um, from when we, we went through the Sermon on the Mount in, in uh, Matthew chapter 5, that Jesus has already spoken to the crowds about oaths. So in that day, it was common for, for people to make oaths with, uh, with one another for, for any type of reason. What the religious leaders were doing, though, was that they set up a system of different kinds of oaths. Okay, so if you swore by the temple, it wasn't as serious as, as if you swore by the gold of the temple. Or if you swore by the altar, it didn't mean anything. But if you swore by the gift on the altar, then you were bound by it. And this is not 
mandated anywhere in scripture, right? This is, there's no uh, law in, in, in the Bible that says, hey, you do oaths this way, like swear by this, and there's degrees of your oath. That's not what we see in scripture at all. This was a, a made-up system uh, by the Pharisees that they came up with so that they didn't always have to keep to their word. Jesus has already told them in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, hey, don't take oaths at all. He says simply, yet your yes be yes and your no be no. I was reading a, a pastor named David Platt this week and he says this. He says, Jesus refers to taking oaths by the sanctuary, the gold of the, the sanctuary, the altar, etc. He says he's referring to rules that had been concocted to allow people to swear by certain things and not be bound uh, or, or swear by other items and be bound. In essence, people only had to keep a promise under certain circumstances. However, Jesus made it clear that any oath makes one accountable to God, for God owns, ev uh, owns everything anyway, including the temple. These man-made rules about oaths were quite simply an attempt to justify sin. The same can happen, excuse me, the same can happen in our lives when we think, I suppose that's technically a sin, but everyone does it, and it doesn't seem like a big deal. So it's okay. Sins like gossip, gluttony, small white lies, and materialism might fit in that category. We adjust to, uh, adjust to sin because it's common to us instead of fleeing sin because it's repulsive to God. So church, let us have integrity with our relationship to God's law. Let us not justify a small lie or a common sin because everyone does it. There's no such thing as a little sin in God's kingdom. We see that there are things that have less earthly consequences, yes, but in a redeemed world, not even little sins exist. They are eradicated by Jesus on the cross. And so let us eradicate them from our lives now. And that means having honesty and integrity with sin, even if people might not see it, even if it's common, even if we think that we can get away with it. We need to have integrity with God's law. We see that the, the fourth woe, it makes the same point that we need to have integrity in relation to God's law. Jesus, he confronts the scribes and Pharisees for tithing their herbs while neglecting the more important things of the law. The picture uh, Jesus used, uh, he uses here is this, uh, that of a gnat and a camel. It's rather an amusing picture. He tells them to, that they strain out a gnat, but they swallow a camel. If you think about it, it's rather absurd, right? Um, Imagine it for a second, though, right? Imagine uh, you're, you're, you, know, you have your tea and you pick out uh, a small gnat from your drink while there's something that is much larger sitting in it, right? What is he saying here? He says the Pharisees and scribes, they pick out all the little things, but they neglect the big things. They're concerned with things like tithing their herbs and yet they neglect things that are way more important than that. The things that matter, showing justice to people, having mercy on them, being faithful. How much more does God care about these things than he does about tithing your mint and dill, right? The point of God's law isn't that we just check off uh, something from our list to say, hey, I've, I've done that, right? It is, the point of God's law is to truly know who God is. And similarly here, what we see the point of, this, of, of sacrificing was to point to Jesus' loving sacrifice for us. It was to show 
his mercy towards us, his kindness to us, his love for us. And so we ought to sacrifice for other people as God has done for us. What does God care about a sprinkle of our spices? Right? He does not. That is not what sacrifice is about. What does this mean for us? It means having integrity with God's law. It means honestly asking, are we faithful in small things while neglecting the more important things? Do we justify small sacrifices while missing the overall heart of God's law? That's the issue with the Pharisees here. So we have, do we have integrity with God's law? Having integrity with God's law means we don't relax it so that our small sins pass. It also means that we don't focus on things that are insignificant while neglecting things that matter most. We get to woes five and six, and woes five and six talk about integrity of the heart. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may be clean. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all, unclean, all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And this all goes back to what we talked about at the beginning. The Pharisees were so concerned with what they looked like on the outside that they didn't take an honest look at their heart. They wanted to appear righteous on the outside with their phylacteries and their long fringes, but their hearts were a disaster because they weren't doing any of it for God. They were doing it all for the approval of man. What we see is that our motives matter. Why we do what we do is important because God sees the heart, even if others can't. God sees our motives, even if we are doing religious things in order to be seen by others, in order to elevate ourselves, or if we do them out of an out. Uh, uh, pouring of, of the spirit in our lives out of uh, a love for what Christ has done for us. Let us have integrity to examine our hearts for pure motives in what we do. We need to have integrity in our hearts inwardly and that will reflect in our lives outwardly. We see the final woe that Jesus pronounces on the Pharisees it stands alone. It's not paired with uh, any other one. But what we see is that it deals with having integrity with the depth of our sin. One last time, Jesus calls the scribes and the Pharisees hypocrites. And he points out that they say this. They say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in, the shedding, in shedding the blood of the prophets. So what they say is, that could never be us, right? How far, how, how far we've come from those times, right? The, the people that back then were so barbaric, we would never do anything like that. And yet these same people a few days later would have the greatest prophet, Jesus Christ, nailed to a cross. And I wonder if that sentiment rings a bell for us. Do we think that we have come so far that we would never do anything like that? I think we often have this view of the Pharisees that they were 
the, the worst people in the world. You know, we talked about the, the you call the, you're a Pharisee and, and, and that's the, like the worst thing that you could call someone. And we think we would never be anything like that. Far, far be it from us to ever murder someone. We're so much, we're, we're, we're much too civilized for that. We're not as bad as those people. Those are the Pharisees. That's not like us. Let me ask us this. Do we grasp the, the depth of our sin? Know that Jesus died because we've all been hypocrites. We've all said, this is the way to live, and we've failed to live that way. We've all, like the Pharisees, failed to live lives of integrity. We've all taken our sin lightly. We've all relaxed God's law so that we can get away with our sin. We've all neglected the weightier parts of the law. We've all focused on what others think about us and have neglected to check for pure hearts and motives. We need to understand that Jesus went to the cross for our sins, not his. That is my sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. And it takes integrity to acknowledge that it was for our sin that Jesus went to the cross. And that makes us just like these murderers. But understand this. Once you know the depth of your sin, understand the great love of God for you. Recognize that the grace of Jesus is more. How much, however much your sin is, God loves you so much more than that. He came to earth to die for people who have failed to live up to the law. He came to redeem hypocrites. He died for those who have relaxed the law, those who have failed to disciple others well. He gave his life for those who have neglected the important things of the law. And so if we have integrity to see the depth of our sin, let God redeem us from our sin through Jesus. Bring your sin to Jesus. It has been paid for on the cross and you are forgiven. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world. 